Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. with with you um, have us all explore the um, the chant of the three refuges that we end the sitting with and this is uh, suggested to me by um, Keith last last week um, he said you know we say this every week and uh, I think I kind of got the idea, but it would be good to spend some time uh, just going a little bit deeper and just seeing what exactly are we chanting? What does it mean? What does it mean to uh, to us? What does it mean to say it? What are we committing to? How can it really inform our practice? And uh, I thought that was um, that was a good topic to raise. And, and you've, you've been coming here for a number of years now, so I figured if, if it was on his mind, you know, must be on maybe a couple of other people's minds, not that you're dwelling on it throughout the week, but maybe when we come to the chanting part, um, just what is your... Um, relationship to that and whatever your relationship this is not a pass fail test this is you know whatever however you feel is how you feel so there's no wrong or right but um i think it's useful to explore it a bit so that it can if you do choose to chant it which is completely optional but if you do choose to chant it that it's it has some meaning for you and um is a, a source of inspiration for you uh and reflection uh, as to what dharma practice is about So uh, there are two parts to the chant. The first part is that uh, namo tasa, namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa. And the def- the uh, translations are on, on the um, brochure itself, so it's not that it's a mystery, but just what does it mean, okay? What is the meaning of the word, or what are the meaning of the words, the English words, too? Homage to the Blessed One, the Perfect One, the Fully Enlightened One. This is the 
part of the chant, and these are the chants that are, that are chanted every day in Asia, in monasteries and other monasteries around the world, Abhayagiri and Amaravati in England, <clears throat> Abhayagiri where Ajahn Amaro taught for many years, and Ajahn Pasano, and <clears throat> all Theravadan Buddhist um, monastic centers and centers um, have this chant. This is the classical <clears throat> chanting. Homage to the Buddha, homage to the Blessed One, the Perfected One, the Enlightened One, Fully Enlightened One, Sama Sambuddhasa. So, first of all, especially for people who might come from another spiritual tradition, a lot of times people have done a six-week beginning class with me or with with someone uh, someone else and say, okay, all of this stuff makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I like mindfulness and um, yeah, seeing things clearly, loving kindness and all of that. And as I say in the in in my class, you know, this is not about um, <clears throat> joining a religion per se. The the teachings are really a way of living. So you don't have to join anything. And in fact, um, if pressed, if I have to write down on a, uh, on some kind of application, you know, what religion, what spiritual, what spiritual tradition, what religion I am, I will generally write Buddhist. But I don't actually, me personally, this is not everyone, but me personally, I, uh, I don't, I'm not inspired by the ist part. <laughs> I'm not inspired to say, this is my religion as opposed to all of those other religions out there. Um, the, the the line that I love in uh, the Third Zen Patriarch, which I've we've gone over <clears throat> here before, uh, where he says, "There is one Dharma. There is one Dharma. Distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. There is one Dharma." distinctions arise from the clinging needs of the ignorant. That is to say, the truth is the truth. And it has many different expressions. It has many different um, uh, packagings, if you will, that are inspiring to different people with different temperaments and different cultures and different backgrounds. So, in doing this chanting and in taking refuges, it's not like you have to give up any other spiritual beliefs or uh, traditions. Um, mindfulness 
And these basic teachings can be um, harmonious with with any spiritual tradition. In fact, there, there's a, a great uh, story of um, when Jack Cornfield was a, a monk in Asia and he was studying with Ajahn Chah for, uh, for a couple of years, a few years. Um, and he was about to come back to the States and um, thought that he'd be doing some teaching because he just was called to do that and had sensed that that might be a good thing to to do. And he asked Ajahn Chah if he had any advice for him before he went back. And Ajahn Chah said, um, yeah, you might call it Christianity. You know? <laughs> Just because, you know, there's, uh, the truth is the truth, and if you put it in a way that others can hear, you don't have to give up anything. It's more a matter of, and as the Buddha said, uh, uh, as he was nearing the end of his life, his last instructions, go forth and speak um, in the language, in the idiom of the people that you are meeting to all of his disciples and senior uh, practitioners speak in a way that they can hear it. You don't have to call it anything. The truth is the truth. So, given that, I just want to um, address that concern if that's something that pops up for you when you hear the chanting. Oh, what am I doing here. And then particularly around this namo tasa about homage to the Buddha, homage to the blessed one, the blessed one, the, the fully enlightened one, the perfected one. The Buddha is not, <laughs> is, it's not like you're praying to the Buddha. It's not like you're um, hoping that the Buddha will hear your prayers or is grateful for or thankful for your uh, for your appreciation. As Ajahn Chah, same wonderful wise master, said, um, the Buddha died a long time ago. You know? <laughs> so. You don't don't hope that there's going to be some kind of magical response if you give gratitude or appreciation to the Buddha. Um, and in fact, in the Theravadan tradition lineage, where the, these these teachings come from, um, in in the teachings, when a fully enlightened being dies they're not around anymore. Others might continue to have rebirth, but um, if you take what he said literally, he's not around to hear your, uh, your appreciation. But why do it then? Well, the Buddha is, for many people, and I know it's been true for me, <clears throat> he was a pretty amazing guy who 
embodies wisdom and compassion and the possibility of freedom. Just by his example, he said, this is really possible. He didn't, you know, as it also said, the Buddha solved his problem. He didn't solve yours. But what he did do was find a way to actually free the mind and the heart. And in paying homage to him, one way, at least that I take it, it would be interesting to hear others' uh, comments, is that you are, um, it's an act of both gratitude and inspiration. It's like you're saying, oh wow, this is really possible. And thank you for discovering the way. Now I've gone through different, at different times, um, different, <laughs> the Buddha and I have had very um, different cycles in our relationship. He, he's been doing fine with it the whole time. You know? <clears throat> I was ex incredibly inspired when I first heard the teachings. I thought, wow, I found, I think I found a real path. I think I found a way to really get beyond my neurotic thoughts, which had never been a possibility before. Wow, I think I found something here. And when everything that I heard about the teachings that all made such sense, I just had this incredible appreciation and awe, you know, that that this man had discovered this. And it's, one could find the same, and one does find the same kind of appreciation um, for, um, for Jesus, you know, who is, has inspired me tremendously too. When I've really gotten to the heart of Jesus, of Christ's teachings, I mean, you know, doesn't get much better than that. And so I, when, I, when I tune into what Jesus said, there's something that really touches my heart. I, I, I was raised Jewish, so I don't have, you know, both the, um, the, the positive and negative associations in formal religion. Uh, but when I touch who Jesus was, you know, I am grateful that such a being lived on the planet and has inspired a huge portion of humanity to be kind and loving and forgiving and, um, and see beyond themselves to um, a deeper meaning in life and connection with life. And so, you know, if it, if it worked for you when you're saying namo tasa, if you don't relate to the Buddha that way, then you might put in Jesus in your, in your heart or in your mind. Um, but there is something about the act of gratitude that opens the heart and saying, 
thank you. It's like, as we've talked about gratitude here before, thank you to life. Thank you for being, um, for giving something that has been so uh, precious and valuable to me and to humanity. Okay. So now we'll get to the refuges. And with each of them, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, there's an inner and an outer meaning on both of them. So, and by the way, the, the, the refuges and the chanting is actually, uh, if somebody does want to, say, be a Buddhist, which is a wonderful, beautiful thing. I, I wouldn't, it's not like I'm, I have any um, judgment about that. For some people, it's a very powerful thing to say, okay, I found my path and this is what I'm committing to, the Buddhist path. But it's a way to formally, for those who want to do that, you formally can be, be consider yourself a Buddhist having taken the refuges. Now, I've taken the refuges, well, I say them every week here, and I've gone through a formal practice of a formal ceremony of taking uh, refuge. But I don't think of it in terms of, for myself, well, now I'm a Buddhist as much as um, now I am committed from the most sincere place in my heart, especially when I stay connected to what I'm committing to. I'm committed to doing my part to awaken as much as I can in this lifetime, to be as conscious as I can, to open to the best in the human experience that can be found in this mind and body to as many times as I forget to commit to coming back and facing in the direction of greater kindness and greater understanding and greater wisdom, greater compassion. <clears throat> The word refuge, it is an interesting word. It can, th that's what the, the idea behind this, this is supposed to be a support for your practice. Taking refuge or going for refuge means um, that you are finding some comfort, some, a place of safety. You know, if you're, you're, Going for refuge, you might consider yourself a, a refugee. Looking for a place of safety, looking for a safe harbor, looking for a place where you can trust and feel protected, feel comforted by the goodness in life. You can just put it that way. And when you are taking refuge, it is a, it's a declaration to yourself of that intention 
to face in that direction and to see these three elements as sources of real support and um, an inspiration. <clears throat> so, refuge in the Buddha. The word Buddha, as probably many of you are familiar with, means um, one who is awake, the awakened one, awakened from sleep. And the outer meaning of Buddha re does refer to that historical figure, Siddhartha Gautama, who became known as the Buddha or Blessed One. He referred to himself as the Tathagata, one thus come and thus gone. It's kind of like, who was that masked man, you know? <laughs> wow. Like, he's not around. <laughs> you know? This body and this mind are around. But the... <laughs> the the personality and the person, although the Buddha had his own radiant, I would imagine, personality, um, but there wasn't, on in another level, wasn't anybody home as far as taking things personally. What do you mean talking to me like that? Or, you know, it's like all of that fell away because he saw through this illusion of self. And when you take refuge in the Buddha on the outward meeting, meaning, which some do, it's kind of like what I was saying before about being inspired by this figure who lived in northern India 25, 2600 years ago. Supposedly, um, 1956, by some standards, was the 2500th year anniversary of his passing. Okay. Full moon in May. <laughs> That's what they say. Who knows? But something like that. So it's really, he lived about 2600 years ago. And he was pretty. Neat. Oh, I, I didn't finish my, my thought uh, earlier. When I first started with the practice, just so inspired. And then I went through a period of time in my own practice where I, mm, I had some difficulty that was, came out of my own projections of some, some Asian masters that I studied with and just kind of like, you know seemed kind of serious and somber. That's why I ended up teaching about awakening joy because I got very serious in my practice and I said, wow, I, I've lost my joy. And I kind of um, um, projected onto the Buddha instead of being the source of inspiration became this very serious, you must sit and not enjoy life kind of figure. Again, 
That didn't have anything to do with him. He didn't do anything in the interim, in those intervening years. It was my stuff. But in uh, more recent years, and I've had this experience a, a, a number of times when, I, when I've sat, about, uh, particularly on a retreat in 2005, um, which became a very devotional retreat. And it all came back to me how amazing that this guy figured it out. I, I remember when I was at Spirit Rock sitting for the month of, of March. And, you know, I'd been practicing for about 30 years by, by then. But this one afternoon, sitting in my room, and I sat, and there I, there was a, a Buddha statue uh, in my room, little Buddha Rupa, and um, I just remember having my mind blown, saying, "How did, how did he do that? It's so simple, but." It's so simple to just wake up to the present moment, but it's kind of like the key, like going through Alice in Wonderland, going through the tunnel and, and coming out and seeing everything magical, seeing the world alive, seeing this is the way to open the heart, seeing this is the, 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 the doorway to all the goodness in you coming out of you. And I just... Uh, welled up with tears and bowed down. And it was really lovely to renew that appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. Here, millions and millions and millions of people inspired by the, the clarity and the instructions. And it wasn't just a theory, it was like, you do this, this, and this, and this, and you too can experience what I experienced. This is how you do it. It's like, you know, um, I sometimes thought of Gray's Anatomy as like the, the textbook for the body, and he figured it out for the mind. This is how you unlock all the secrets in the mind. And so, at times, I can get into that devotional space and I take refuge in that figure as being an embodiment of awakening, as having done it, but also as, be, as showing the possibility that this is, this is the inspiration that it's actually, we have this potential. And you might know the story uh, when the Buddha was first enlightened, at first he didn't want to teach, as as it said in the in the uh, as he explained it, he said he looked out at the world and saw so much confusion and said, "People won't understand, and if they don't, it will be a vexation to me." You know, so he said, "I don't know, I don't know if this is going to be worth it," but then. As the, the the legend has it, or it's said that uh, that some Brahmin uh, gods came came to him and um, encouraged him to look 
at all the possible, all the potential of people who could discover what he saw. And it said that he saw that although everybody wanting wants to be happy, most everybody doing exactly the things that are causing more suffering to themselves, and that there were many with but a little dust covering their eye. They just couldn't see, and if he taught, then they could see through their confusion and discover what he discovered. And so he decided, okay, I don't know, maybe he thought, what else is there to do, you know? (laughs) But thank goodness he spent the next 45 years of his life saying, uh, just sharing what he discovered out of generosity of heart, out of compassion, out of seeing that possibility. Thank you. On the inner level, taking refuge in the Buddha, whether or not you feel a connection to that historical figure, the word Buddha, as I said, is the awakened one. And you're taking refuge in your own capacity to awaken. You, this is not just theory, you, this human being that's sitting here and listening, you have the capacity to be fully free of greed or wanting, of aversion, anger, of confusion. You have this capacity. That's why he taught. And when you take refuge in it, you are saying, I too have this pure heart, this pure awareness, this goodness, this um, divine within me, as Ajahn Sumedho, one of Ajahn Chah's main Dharma heir, said, uh, he calls it the shining through of the divine, that we have this inside of us. It's not any different in my mind from thinking of yourself as having the kingdom of heaven within you or the kingdom of God right within you. Whatever you call it, there's one Dharma, not many. But to really see, this is who you really are when you're not confused. And this is one of the things that that so attracted me about Eastern philosophy that you're already the purity of the divine. It's just been obscured. It's just covered over. And so it's not like you know, you've got to do some great repentance or do some um, something to make up for your faults or your your frailties, but it's that you just haven't seen what's who you really are, and so to see through that obscuration to see you are the Buddha, you are a Buddha, and there's the, you know the classic. Line, if you see the Buddha on the road, kill him. 
That's in the, the Mahayana tradition. That means if you think, oh, there's the Buddha over there, you're missing the point. Kilem meaning stop getting into that thought that they are the Buddha and I'm not. But that kill him means look back to yourself. Whereas Ajahn Chah had this exchange with Jack Cornfield, who at some point got a, kind of annoyed by Ajahn Chah in the way he, he seemed to, just some things were bugging about him. And, and Jack said to let, let him know. And Ajahn Chah said, you know, it's a good thing that I don't fit your image of an enlightened being. Otherwise, you'd be busy thinking the Buddha is outside of yourself. Don't think this pure heart and this goodness is outside of yourself and not in you. Yeah, it's outside of, it's in everyone, but it's in you. And when you take refuge in the Buddha, you are really honoring that divine goodness, who you are. And you, we all experience it. You know those moments when you're just not lost in confusion? You might be on a peaceful day with friends all around and just in, in optimal conditions, you know, where the mind isn't confused. Okay, what's left? Love, delight, kindness, caring, clarity, non-confusion. That's who you are. And we all have those glimpses of it. And just to see, oh, the idea is to more and more just remember who we are. And so when you're taking refuge in the Buddha, this is what you're doing. You're remembering that this is who you really are beyond that confusion. Mm. Now, before I go on, let's just take a moment, okay, and connect with that. And whatever words resonate or don't resonate, you might change the words, but just try on for size, even if it's just a, a, a mental exercise. You know, I take refuge in the Buddha. You could say, I take refuge in my Buddha nature or the divine within me. And just let yourself connect with that place of purity and goodness and clarity that you touch from time to time. And when you take refuge in it, just feel the comfort of that, that thought. It's you. Or it's not even yours. It comes through you. It comes through this form. But that's who this manifestation of life is when it's not confused. What a comforting thought. Just really take it in.
okay. Now, I take refuge in the Dharma. The word Dharma, <clears throat> many different translations. On one level, the outer teachings, it's the, the formal teachings of the Buddha. And sometimes you see the word Dharma with a capital D, and sometimes you see it with a small d. A capital D is referring to Buddha Dharma, that is the, the body of teachings that the Buddha um, offered. And when you take refuge in the Dharma, you're really uh, honoring and finding um, inspiration and comfort from the fact that these teachings do point to the truth. That is, perhaps you've seen the truth of impermanence. Perhaps you've seen the truth of suffering coming from holding on to changing experience. Perhaps you've seen a glimpse of what it's like to not identify with your experience. Perhaps you've seen the power of uh, the Four Noble Truths or the Eightfold Path or any of the teachings that perhaps you've heard of. To, to take refuge in, the, in those teachings, it's like, oh, wow, I found a map. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you. This is, this is something that I can rely on when I get confused. There's a road map here. To take refuge in the Dharma, the inner, the inner dimension of that, is the, what the teachings are pointing to. That is the truth of life. The Dharma can be translated as the, the natural way, nature itself, the truth, the word dharma means truth. And it's probably the closest word to the word God in other religions. So when you're taking refuge in the dharma, it's like you're, for me, I think of it as taking refuge in the perfection of it all, just this mystery of life. And that in this unfolding, life is giving us whatever we need in every single moment to wake up. If we use it properly, we are getting just what we need to wake up, even though it might not be what we've signed on for. But if we use our practice correctly, then everything is a source of awakening. So... To take refuge in the Dharma really means taking refuge in life, that you're, you're saying yes to life, that you are not getting caught in why is this happening this way and if I were running the universe, I'd do a much better job than this and, you know, let's, you know, fix the show here but it's surrendering to how life is unfolding. And in that surrender, something quite extraordinary happens. You give up the struggle and the fight, and you 
open up to see how can I use this moment for greater consciousness and greater love. And for me, taking refuge in the Dharma um, is a great source of inspiration and devotion. Uh, shared this story before the, that an analogy between God and, and the Dharma and when I was <clears throat> when I was uh, first starting out with practice and I was uh, I was with um, Ramdas who was a very in, inspiring figure after reading Be Here Now Like a Bible and carrying it around like a Bible for a, a few years and I finally met him and um, and then wanted to see if uh, I could study with him and it was this this Hindu scene um, and uh, going to the scene I, I had an interview with him to see if it worked for me to be there and he said well what do you what do you think about uh, Jesus you know this Hindu devotional scene and I said well he said do you love Jesus I said I like Jesus you know <laughs> He said, but do you really love Jesus? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I was, I, you know, I think I was very inspired by him, but I don't know if I love him like you maybe think I should. And, yeah. and then he said, oh, okay, well, what about Krishna? Do you love Krishna? I said, I like Krishna. Very inspirational, celebratory figure. I don't know if I love Krishna, though. He said, oh. He said, well, what about God? Do you love God? And I said, mm, you know, um, I was raised I was raised Jewish, and whatever, you know, little Bible book I had when I was a kid, or however it came down to me, God had this, has this, feeling in my mind of this very big, powerful guy with a big beard and a book and a pen saying, you're going to have a good day and you're, you're going to have a lousy day. And instead of, it was more like the fear of God was put in me than the love of God, you know. So I, when I hear the word God, I think in terms of the Dharma. And then he said, well, do you love the Dharma? And that one, I didn't hesitate. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He said, you're sure? I said, yeah, I love the Dharma. And then he said, do you ever tell the Dharma that you loved it? I said, no. He said, well, go ahead, say it. Why, what, do you, what do you mean? He said, well, just say, I love you, Dharma. He said, I'll say it with you, you know. Go ahead. I felt like a complete idiot, you know, I love you, Dharma. And he said, I love you, Dharma. And I said, I love you, Dharma. And he repeated, and we did it about, oh, three or four times until one time I really felt it. And when I felt it, I said, I love you, Dharma. And tears started coming down my cheeks. At that point, he said, oh, there's hope for you yet, okay. <laughs> but... This is the thing for us to, I think everybody here in one way or another loves the Dharma, loves the, whether you call it the Dharma or loves the truth, loves goodness, loves everything that is 
that is good and whole, that brings the best out of you, that loves life at times when you can connect with that. This is the most precious source of refuge. Life itself, you're alive. And to take refuge in that is really a tremendous support for practice. So just for a moment, as it go on. I take refuge in the Dharma, that is, in the truth, the way things are. I take refuge in life and open to its support. Just let yourself feel held by life, by your own gratitude and love of life. How beautiful that is. And then uh, <clears throat> lastly, I take refuge in the Sangha. And the word Sangha, the outer meaning, is um, refers to um, all those who have been enlightened over the course of the last 2,600 years, the noble Sangha of enlightened ones, and also those who've committed themselves to spiritual uh, life, the monastics, the monks and nuns, the monastic sangha. And the word sangha on a more fundamental level means the support of like-minded friends. We don't have to do this alone. We can't do this alone. It's very rare to be able to do this alone. And we help each other wake up. It doesn't mean you've already woken up and we're all sitting here enlightened, but we remind each other. We see the goodness in each other, or when we don't, we can be a support for each other. In all of the, the, the lists of enlightenment factors, the one common factor for all the different factors of enlightenment is being in the company of the wise, being in the company of people who have a particular quality that you want to develop, like mindfulness or compassion or concentration or equanimity. And being in the company of those who don't value those has its effect as well. We are susceptible to everybody around us. And so if you can find people who support you in your process and who have similar values, this is a tremendous source of inspiration. So just for a moment, invite you to just tune into all the people who you feel support, who you feel can really understand your own love of the truth, who value being conscious, 
who you can perhaps count on to steer you in the right direction when you get lost. Who pick you up when you fall or at least are there with a hand. And whether or not you know them personally, others who inspire you through books and tapes and talks and the whole global community of people who want to make this a better world. They're all part of your Sangha. And just for a moment, take refuge in that. In them, I take refuge in the Sangha. In the community of like-minded friends who, like me, value waking up. all those rooting for you. You might imagine them in a, with a, in a cheering section surrounding you, saying, yeah, we're with you. What a great support. So I take refuge in the Buddha, the capacity to awaken my pure nature. I take refuge in the Dharma, the truth, the way things are in life. I take refuge in the Sangha, the community of like-minded friends. And with that support, that feeling of connection, uh, you might just send some loving kindness to yourself and all beings. May all, including myself, come to freedom. May all see their own true nature, the Buddha inside, May all see the truth of things and feel the support of those around. May all find the highest happiness and peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit to ourselves, everyone we know, and all beings everywhere. Thank you. So now you know what you're chanting. <laughs> Chant with gusto or at least connection. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.